All right, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, please, chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Seems like just a couple weeks ago I started this Gospel, now we're all ready to chapter 7. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to talk about Jesus every week, amen. That's is one thing I've really looked forward to as I started this, was we're looking at the words of Christ. We're looking at the stories about Christ week in and week out. What a wonderful exercise. Can I, I forgot to mention this in the announcements. On Thursday night, we started a new series. Uh, we were doing spiritual warfare. We're talking about the various doctrines that go with something called Calvinism. You might know it by different names, predestination, the Eitrichis, and all of that. So we're just taking a biblical look at, uh, at the major points of that. So if you're interested in that subject, or, listen, we all need the fellowship. If you want just some good fellowship, want to get to know each other a little better, Thursday night's a great way to do that. So Thursday night, 6 o'clock at the new church uh, plot for that. All right, Luke 7, and we're going to go through verses 1 to 10. But verse 9 will set the stage for us. So let's read verse 9 together. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. The him is a centurion, a Roman centurion. He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. What a compliment. I'd like to preach to you for a few minutes today about an impressive faith. An impressive faith. Father, help us this morning. We thank you that we have a chance to meet in worship. And uh, Lord, as we understand it, you desire true worshipers. That's what you're seeking. We want to be that this morning. Help us, Father. We just want to hear what you have to say. Push aside all the distractions. Help us to focus in. And we want to walk away today knowing that we've heard from you. Please meet with us. Help me to preach. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In verse number 9, understand in the middle of it, Jesus turns and he says unto the people that followed him, his disciples are included in this bunch. The men that would go on to be apostles and write the New Testament. They heard the Lord Jesus Christ giving a very strong compliment to this Gentile man. Do you know how strange that must have been for all of those Jewish followers? In their minds, there is no way that a Gentile could please God as much as a Jew. There is no way they thought in their minds that a Gentile would have anything to do with the Jewish Messiah. But here, the Messiah is saying that this Gentile man, and by the way, centurions were known for being very difficult, hard-hearted people, that this Gentile man has gotten the attention of Jesus Christ and impressed Him. And impressed Him. That must have made them all stop and go, wait a second now. We have to rethink what it means to impress the Lord. What is impressive to Him? And, and the thing that got Jesus' attention was this great faith. Now all of us, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're saved this morning, this story ought to really mean something to you because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't know about you, I want to please God. I hope that's important to you this morning. I hope the idea of you personally putting a smile on God's face, I hope that means something to you. And if so, this story ought to really grab your attention because here's a man that had great faith and it came from a person and a place that you wouldn't expect. Anybody's capable of it. Anybody's capable of it. 
at the beginning of verse 9, Jesus heard these things. Look at what it says. He marveled at him. He marveled. What do you think it takes to make the creator of the universe marvel at something? You and I, there are so many chances for us to marvel at God's handiwork. Amen? Amen. My goodness, you, you walk out on a starry night, on a clear night, and the stars are shining. And you just look up, and, and you can see God's handiwork. And, and you think, man, 6,000 years ago, thereabouts, God just flung these stars into existence. You look at the, how the sun chases the moon, and then the moon chases the sun, and how the, the trees grow, and the flowers bloom, and how the, the birds and, and the animals, and you just look at how God has put together nature. It is astounding. It is breathtaking. It makes us marvel. If you hold a newborn baby in your arms, you just marvel. On the seventh day, we read that God rested. Before that, we read after the six days, he stepped back. Right before he took his rest, he looked at everything he had done, and he said, it's very good. It's not just good, it's very good. And I say, amen, Lord, it was very good. He marveled at his own creation. We are dumbfounded. Our breath is gone. Our spirit is gone. When we, we look at what God has done, when you really take time to think about how great it is, it, it makes you marvel. Now, what is on that same level for Jesus that makes him stand there and go, wow, wow, look at this. It's a man having great faith. Can you imagine what a compliment this is to this man to make Jesus marvel? So let's take a look at this impressive faith in all of its entirety. Just looking through this passage, verse number 1 now, when he had ended all his sayings and the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. So he's talking about the sermon in the plain there. He finished that. He went to this other town. Verse 2, And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Now, as I mentioned previously, centurions were not known for being compassionate people. They're soldiers. They're hard. They're mean. They're rough. They're rugged. They're not known for caring about the servants under them who cares if the servant dies just replace him with another that's what centurions were known for but listen just because your people are known for a certain thing that doesn't mean you have to be that way who cares if all the other soldiers are mean and hard-hearted what's that got to do with it you can still be soft and compassionate and and genuinely concerned for the people around you don't don't get stuck in a stereotype well, you know, those people, that's just how they are. Okay, well, don't be one of those people. You be one of God's people. We, we talked about it in Sunday school. For those of you were the, that were here, we talked about Daniel. He purposed in his heart. It didn't matter if all the rest of them were doing it. He was going to stand for what was right and just do it. This centurion was a soft-hearted, passionate guy. You can be that too. In verse number 3, it says, When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. In verse number three, the first thing I want to say about this man's faith, it was a communicated faith. Here's what I mean by this. Before the centurion could believe in Jesus and on Jesus and about Jesus, he had to hear of Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly how this played out. One of two ways, I think. Perhaps somebody saw the centurion and said, Man, how's it going? You look a bit sad. 
And he said, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going through a bit of a rough time. What's going on? I have a servant, and he's at the point of death, and it's not looking good, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of heartbroken. There's nothing else I can do, and doctors can't help him, and, and, and. And, and whoever he was talking to might have said, have you heard of this guy, Jesus? Because, you know, so far as we've heard, there is no sickness too great for him. And if you'll take this to Jesus, there's a good chance he can help you. Now, he might have heard of Jesus in that way. Let me give you option number two. Just in the, in the everyday discussions that you have with people. The centurion is just walking through the camp talking to soldiers, maybe talking to the common man on the street because centurions did move about through the, through the population, through the populace, you know. And he might have overheard, you know, some group of people standing around going, did you hear what this Jesus guy said? Did you hear about this latest miracle? Oh my goodness, this guy didn't have a hand and Jesus laid a hand on him and out came a hand. And this guy was full of leprosy and Jesus just said, be clean. They might have been sharing stories and the centurion overheard it and thought, you know what? That's the answer to my sick servant. That, that'll do it. I don't care which story you go with. We're not sure exactly how he heard of Jesus. All I know is this, somebody told him about Jesus. This man's great faith came from somebody else telling him how great Jesus was. So this great faith, it starts off being a communicated faith. What does it say in Romans chapter 10? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Folks, we have been sent Jesus said, as the Father sent me, even so send I you. It is our responsibility to have the Lord Jesus Christ on the tip of our tongue, ready to tell anybody, hey, are you heartbroken? Are you lost? Do you, are you lacking purpose in life? You don't know what to do next? I know a guy named Jesus, and there's no problem too big for him. There's no sinner too big for him. There's no amount of sins too great that he can't forgive it. I know where you can get help. I know where you can get life, uh, life's purpose. I found them all in Jesus. Great faith is generated by the people of God talking about how great our author and finisher is. You understand, the author and finisher of our faith. It's up to us to tell somebody about him. That's where this great faith started. In verse number four, it says, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. They thought he was a worthy man. These Jews thought a Gentile was a worthy man. He must have done something pretty breathtaking. In verse 5, For he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Now, that might seem like a very boring, benign statement, but think about that for a moment. He loves the Jewish nation. Rome had it in their minds that the Jews were just a a nothing nation of dogs. They were a, a little people with little minds of basically no use. The nation of Israel had been trampled for the last 600 years, basically. They couldn't rule over themselves. The Syrians ruled over them, the Egyptians, now the Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians. Everybody had conquered this people. If you just look at it through natural eyes, through the eyes of a worldly man, there's nothing about the nation of Israel to love. But look at the last part of verse 5. It says he built them a synagogue. You know why the centurion was friendly to the nation of Israel? It wasn't because the Jews in and of themselves were a great people. It was because of their great God. 
This centurion had figured out somehow that even though these Jews were downtrodden and they had been beaten in several wars, they still had the right God. And he was willing to help them in their worship towards the true God. You know the old promise, Genesis 12, verse number 3, God told Abraham, if anybody blesses you, I'll bless him. And we can see that promise coming to pass here. In verse number 6, then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurions sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Do you ever pray and sometimes feel like you're troubling the Lord? Do you ever get down to pray and say, God, I know you've got bigger things to deal with. I know there's people with bigger problems. I hate to take your time with this. I'm so, it seems like such a small problem, but God... You ever do that? That's what this man thought. Lord, tr don't, don't trouble yourself. Listen, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. You know what I love about it? Verse 6, Jesus went with, Jesus was on his way to help. You're not troubling him. You're not troubling him. He's willing to help. It's one thing to recognize you're not worthy. Verse 6, right? He, he admits that I am not worthy. Everybody else thought he was worthy. But he himself did not think he was worthy. There's a lot of humility in that, right? But, but despite the lack of his worthiness, he admits that. He still knows that this Messiah is the only one who can help. And therefore, he is still open to receiving the help. It's one thing to say, Lord, I am not worthy. Some people take that as a reason not to pray at all. And now you're in self-pity. Now, that, that's a negative. That's unhealthy. But it's, it's another thing to say, God, I'm not worthy, but you promised you would help, so humbly I'm coming to you. But in verse number 7, he continues by saying, of course, he sent friends to say this. He didn't even think worthy to go meet the Lord face to face. In verse 7, wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. This is an impressive faith. Why? It was communicated. And based on what he had heard about Jesus, he says, Lord, I don't need, and tell me if you're familiar with this English, I don't need a lot of hoopla. Does everybody know the word hoopla? We can make a new Afrikaans word out of it. Hoopla. <laughs> hoopla. H-O-O-P-L-A. Hoopla. Hoopla is like a bunch of energy and like a circus and just a bunch of uh, activity going on. That's hoopla. I don't need all the bells and whistles. You don't have to come in with the trumpets sounding and fireworks blowing. You don't need any of that. Lord, uh, you don't have to put on a big circus. All I need you to say is, let it be done. That's all I need. I don't need the theatrics. That might be a good word for hoopla. I don't need the theatrics. I don't need the hoopla. I just need you to say it. I've thought about that a lot this week. You know what? I, I was reading one of A.W. Tozer's books recently. He's talking about different kinds of disciples. And he mentions, you know, the, the wrong kind, several of those. And then he talks about the right one and, and their earmarks. And one of the wrong ones he mentioned, he said they're called personality disciples where they're following the personality of the, pers of, of the man doing the preaching. 
And that man is energetic, he's entertaining, you know, he uses a lot of good stories and he holds their attention and as long as that guy is there, they will follow along and do what everybody else is doing in the church. But if that guy goes, they will go. And I don't mean go from that church, I mean go from Christianity because they're following the personality. I want you to think about that for a moment. What exactly has drawn you to follow Christ? Is it because maybe your circle of friends started to follow Christ and it was the popular thing to do? So you moved with the hoopla. They're all excited about it, so you just follow the crowd. You know, in, in some areas, in some places, it's very difficult to get people to come to church at all without the hoopla. You have to put on the show. You have to have the music and the smoke machines and the turn down the lights and you got to have it or else people don't want to come to church. Could you, listen, could you imagine just showing up and preaching? <laughs> could you imagine that? Think about that. You say, well, that's what we do here. Yeah, almost. <laughs> almost. We sing a few songs and then we preach. You know why? Because the way you get them is the way you keep them. I don't have the energy to give you the hoopla every week. I am not against hoopla. I like a little hoopla. You know what? Yesterday I, I went to Joburg. I did a wedding. Gorgeous wedding. Beautiful wedding. Beautiful occasion. And most of them are. But you know, I have done a wedding in Malawi where the two people were so poor, I said, just come forward during the announcements and I'll marry you. I did the pre-marriage counseling with him, and during the announcements, I said, next week we'll do this, and you know, next month we'll have this gathering. All right, and so and so and so, so please, Burani Kuno, come forward. They stood there. I said, do you take him? Do you take her? Done. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, that's not a wedding. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. A wedding is when you exchange vows. Done. Cheapest wedding ever. We took up an offering and gave it to them. <laughs> I see some of you, the wheels are turning. You're like, yes, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. I am not against hoopla. I am not against the bride getting a nice dress and the man having a tux and, you know, things getting done. You can, you can put some hoopla to it. Listen, I don't mind having a missions fair. I don't mind decorating the building a bit. You see, I think some hoopla is good. I think you need the break from the monotony. You can't just stand up and just speak and then sit down. That's, you need something else. I get that. But it's one thing to break the monotony, have a little bit of hoopla, and still focus on the Word. It's another thing when the hoopla becomes your focus and the Word doesn't matter anymore. That's the problem. You can get so caught up in the wedding that you forget the I do's is the most important part, not your dress, ladies. Just making sure they're not throwing anything. <laughs> it's not the venue. It's not how many people came out. It's not the video that they make afterwards. With the, listen, do all the hoopla, but that's not the purpose of the wedding is I do. I do. You have just made lifelong sacred vows to each other. Say in a word. That's what's important. And we lose focus of that. What was so great about this man's faith? What, what made it impressive? Number one, it was communicated. It was a strong enough faith that somebody told somebody that told him. 
But then number two, it was a simple slash low-maintenance faith. For some folks, you have to twist their arm to get them to do anything with what Jesus says. Not this guy. Think about what he turned down now. Jesus is on his way to his house. Can I just put you in the scenario? What if you heard that Jesus was walking down the road on his way to your house? Would you stop him? <laughs> I wouldn't. Bring the hoopla. <laughs> I want Hosanna to the son of David. I want the whole thing, palm branches. I want it all. Amen. I do. I wouldn't stop him. I, I, I want to meet him. This centurion just heard, listen, he is a lover of the nation of Israel. He knows that they have a promised Messiah that they, they've been waiting for for 1,500 years. And here's the promised one walking down the road to his house. And he says, listen, it's, it's okay. Don't trouble yourself. All you got to do is just say the word. That's enough. He, What? No, Mr. Centurion, come on. Let him at least get into your house. Give him some tea and rust, something. You talk about low maintenance. He said, I don't need the bells and whistles. I just need the master to say one word, and that's enough. If you get the bells and whistles, I say praise God. But will you still be just as interested in the Lord Jesus Christ without the bells and whistles? Must we entertain you? Is that what it takes? Must we twist your emotional arm to get you interested in the things of God? Or can somebody just stand and say, Thus saith the Lord? Is that enough? The word of the Lord should be enough. In the Old Testament, we read about a man named Naaman. I've always pronounced it, but I think the name is actually Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, he was the captain of the host of the army in Syria, also a Gentile, covered in leprosy, but the Bible says he was an honorable man. His leprosy was bad, and he didn't have much more time, and a little girl, a little damsel from the nation of Israel that had been taken captive told Naaman about a prophet in Israel, Elisha that could heal him of his leprosy. It's a communicated faith. Somebody's got to speak up. Somebody's got to say it. Why can't it be you? Amen? Why can't it be you? Do you have enough faith to tell somebody else about it? That little girl did. That little girl told Naaman. Naaman said, well, here's the answer. And they start making arrangements. Naaman ends up with, by the king of Israel's house. And the king of Israel said, Woo, time out. I think you got your wires crossed. I can't help you. This is not a government job. I can't help you. I think you're looking for Elisha. Off he goes to Elisha. Naaman gets to Elisha's door. Hello? Hello? Elisha's inside, and Elisha's servant is with him. Elisha says to the servant, You go answer the door and tell him that if he goes down to the River Jordan and dips himself, washes himself seven times in the River Jordan, he'll be clean. Elisha never even got up to go to the door. <laughs> you talk about low maintenance. No hoopla there. He just sent the servant. Jeebs, go answer the door. <laughs> he sent the butler. <laughs> so the servant comes out and says, uh, Hello, Mr. Naaman. 
the prophet has told me that um, you have a pro- the, he already knew the problem. He's a prophet. He said, the answer, you just need to go dip in the River Jordan seven times. Have a nice day. Shut the door, walked off. No hoopla. No theatrics. No smoke machine. No lights. No rock band. Nothing. Listen to what happened. The Bible says, but Naaman was wroth. He was angry. Quat. Naaman was wroth and went away. He went away like this. He's pitching a fit. This grown man pitching a a full-on baby fit. He was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. (laughs) He said, I was expecting the hoopla. I thought he'd come out and say, In the name of the Lord God of Israel, healed! Healed! That's what Naaman thought. He had, he'd been watching too much TBN. Too much God network. That's what he had. Amen. Amen. He had too much of that. Naaman goes on to say, Are not the rivers Abana and Farpar there in Damascus? Aren't they just as good? Why do I got to go down to this filthy river Jordan and dip seven times? I can go to my own land and dip in a better river. And Naaman's servants came out and said, Listen, whoa, ca- ca- calm down. Calm down, Naaman. Listen, if the prophet had told you do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And he went, yeah. And he said, he's, all he said is just go down to that river and dip seven times. That's easy. Why don't you just try that? Naaman said, all right, fine. I'll go try it. And down he went. Once, Kaplush comes back up. Leprosy still there. He said, yeah, that's what I figured. And Kaplush, yeah, see, nothing. These prophets of Israel, a bunch of, bunch of fakers, a bunch of shams. This is Kaplush, Kaplush. He gets to the seventh Kaplush, he comes up, and the Bible says his flesh came back like a little child. He had some faith then. <laughs> he had some faith then. You know, the verse I just read you, he said, Behold, I thought... I thought he will surely come out, stand, strike the hand, recover. The, I thought after he dipped in the river seven times, the next thing you read in, in, in the passage, he says, behold, now I know. Now I know that there's no God but in Israel. Simple, low-maintenance faith. Just do what the prophet said. You don't need a bunch of fanfare. You don't need people standing on the side of the river taking pictures, you know, looking all beautiful as you go down getting baptized. That didn't do it. Just go do what the prophet said. Can I ask you this morning, what does Jesus have to do to get your attention? Seriously. What, is, what, what needs to happen in your life so that you start to take the Bible seriously? It, and I, I, I'm not asking that as a passing question. I'm not just trying to make a preaching point so that I can move on to the next thing. Pause for a moment and really think about that. What would it take? There are some things that have happened in my life where I stand up and go, wow, okay, I, I better focus in. I better take it seriously. I don't want Jesus to have to push all those painful buttons. I want to just look and marvel at the word that he's given and say, Lord, I don't need the hoopla. I'd love it if you did come to my house. I want to spend time with you. Listen, I love a church service where there's a few amens. 
I, I like it when people laugh and smile. I like it when you move. Some of you, when you blink, that's a blessing because you're still awake. That's great. I, I like a little bit of hoopla. I'm all for it. I like a, a preaching service where there's a buzz. Does that make sense? You understand? Not, not buzz, but a buzz. Where, where there's a nice energy where people want to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And I want to make the preaching as easy on your ear as I can make it. Right? I can't please everybody, but I, I try to put it across in a way that's easy to listen to. But at the end of the day, folks, listen, what it's about is you hearing the Word of God and saying, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that. Which leads me to the next thing. Verse number 8. This centurion, this is part of his message to Jesus. He says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. So Jesus, here's why you don't have to come all the way to my house. Because I also have people over me, and I have people under me. So I know a thing or two about giving an order. And I know a thing or two about taking an order. And this seasoned soldier, he knows the value of obedience. Simple obedience. Can you imagine your superior in the military, in the army, coming to you and say, Private, sir, go dig that hole. But sir, that sounds boring, sir. Go dig that hole, dig that hole, dig that hole, go dig that hole. Okay, now that you sang, did the song and dance, I'll go dig the hole. Could you imagine if that's how the army went? Coming out, gumboots. <laughs> Put on the gumboots and, okay, now, now I'll do it. <laughs> this soldier knows, listen, when it comes down to important things, when the boss says it, I just do it. I don't care. I don't care if he does a song and dance. He said to do it. I'm going to go do it. And I got people under me. I don't have all day to explain all the ins and outs. If I tell them do this, they just need to do it. So this soldier, this centurion can appreciate obedience. So he goes on in verse 8, I say unto one, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. He says unto my servant. I wonder if that's the sick servant says, you know, I've had this servant for years, and whenever I told him to do something, he does it. Third thing that made his faith so impressive is he knew this faith was to be an obedient faith. It's not just something where you say, I believe what he said, but I'm going to do something about what he said. And I don't need the hoopla in the quietness of my Monday morning when I read my Bible, if God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. Listen, I, I love it when the Lord shows up during my devotional time. Don't you? Don't you? When you're reading your Bible or when you're praying, you can feel the presence of the Spirit of God. There is nothing better. Just, God, give me just a few moments of that. God, give me a few moments of it now. That's, there, there's just nothing better. You should know by now, that's not how it is every day. Right? Just, just talking reality with you, that's not how it is every day. Sometimes the presence of God is manifested more strongly than others. 
How about this promise? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You believe that promise? You have to believe that by faith, not by feeling, because you're not always going to feel it. If you're waiting for the hoopla to give you the right feeling so that you can be obedient, you're not going to go anywhere in your Christian life. That's not impressive. But the person who has enough character in him or herself to say, I'm going to do it because it's right, I don't care how I feel. I don't care how entertaining it is. I need to do it because Jesus commanded me to do it. Watch this. He that loves me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You say, but I'm waiting for that feeling. Then you have a very childish, shallow version of love. Love is more than a feeling. Love takes place when you don't feel like it and you do what's right anyway. That's how you know when somebody loves you. This centurion had an impressive faith. Jesus stood back from this and marveled and said, wow, I've been looking for this in Israel. <laughs> in all Israel, with his Israelite disciples standing right in front of him, he said, I've been looking for this kind of faith. Haven't found it. Found it in a Gentile centurion. There, I got it. A guy that will just do it. A person that will just come or go when he says, why, chances are God's been telling you to go. You're just waiting for the hoopla. I have no doubt that God's been telling you to come. You're just waiting for the hoopla. What more do you need? We've shown you in the Bible that there are certain things you need to do every day and every week as a Christian. Amen, amen, and amen. You know that. What's it going to take? It's impressive because it's simple obedience. Now, as far as we know, Jesus never met this man while he was on the earth, right? As far as we know. There's a chance, I would say, that as Jesus moved about for the next, what, two years or so, the centurion might have seen him, right? Maybe had laid eyes on him. But as far as we know, they never sat down in, the, in a house together and fellowshiped, right? He had the opportunity, the centurion did, but he didn't take it. Watch what happens after verse number 9. Verse 10, it says, And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. So these friends that were sent to talk to Jesus come back in, and they see the centurion sitting there by the side of the bed of the servant, and the servant is sitting up. The fever is broken. Whatever the illness was, is clearly gone. The centurion with a big smile wrapped around his face everybody's faith in that house just got strengthened. Those servants walked in and went, oh my goodness. All the master did was say, done. And it was done. The centurion, I, imagine what he was thinking. He's, lay, he's sitting there next to the bed of his servant who's sick, deathly sick, and all of a sudden the, the servant, just his eyes brighten up and his smile breaks forth. He wipes the sweat off the brow. And what happened? Are you okay? What's going on? He says, I just feel better. And right away, that centurion, you can almost see it deep down. He's going, the Lord just said it. The Lord just said it. And that smile comes on his face. You know who we, ne we never preach about in this story? The servant that got healed. 
How, how much faith do you think he had after this whole ordeal? The faith was communicated to the centurion, and now the centurion gets to tell the servant, the reason you're better is because I called upon the name of that guy, and he helped you. <laughs> the, the faith is now just passed on. Everybody's faith got strengthened. What an impressive faith. But listen, faith one day, praise God, ends in sight. One day our faith will be turned to sight. One day, long ago, this centurion passed away. And I know from reading the Bible, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And the Bible describes that throne as being inside of a temple. And we also read that this temple has doors. And as most temples would have, there's a roof. And here comes this centurion. He's just passed away. He's absent from the body. And now he's gone to be present with the Lord. And the angels have carried him up to his heavenly home and introducing him to this man and that woman and showing this man around. And this centurion said, you know, years ago I told the Lord that I wasn't worthy to have him enter under my roof. I wonder if I could enter under his. He's already in heaven. The angels escort him to that temple where the throne is at, and, and there's a knock at the door. And Jesus says, I mean, he's in heaven. The answer is come on in. Come on in. And that centurion walks in, and Jesus immediately knows who it is, and, and that humble man. Who, who didn't feel worthy to have Jesus in the same room as he, now for the first time possibly ever lifts up his head and locks eyes with Jesus. And he starts to approach the throne. And in the back of my mind, you know what I think is, I don't know if some angels are saying it or if the Lord says it, but there's a passage from Isaiah I think that would fit beautifully. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. And trembleth at my word. Here's this man who didn't feel worthy to even be in the presence of Christ, not even to meet him on the road, let alone have him under his roof. And now this man that trembled at the word of the Lord, just one word is all it would take. The Lord looks at him and says, you're welcome to look on me now. You trembled at my word, and that was the most impressive thing that you could have done for me. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. You can enjoy this. You can enjoy this time under my roof now. This is a life worth living. A life that's walked by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. Just, Lord, you say it, and I'll do it. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Have our heads bowed, eyes closed. The pianist will come and play softly, give you a moment to think about what you've heard.
you are allowed to enjoy the theatrics and the hoopla of life. But at the end of the day, what matters is what you do with His Word. Jesus said, on the last day, it'll be the Word that judges you. What have you done with the Word of God? We will continue as a church to put together events so that you can fellowship with each other. We'll take the youth to a camp and give them some good hoopla. We'll have missions conferences and hoopla. We, we'll do that. But God help us. We never want that to take away from the Word of Christ. Say in a word. Let that be the cry of your heart this morning. Lord, just say in a word. Now what's, what's He saying to you? If you need a moment to come to the altar, you can. Perhaps the Lord has put His finger on your heart and said, you know, you've been waiting for it too long. You know what I've told you to do. Now just do it. We'll give you a moment to come and pray. That man had an impressive faith. Jesus marveled at it. When he looks on your faith, does he marvel in a good way? I wonder if he looks at your faith and marvels in the other way and says, what, what else do I have to show you? We'll take just a couple more moments before we close I just want to ask if you're here and you've never been saved all Jesus requires is simple faith God said that Jesus' death burial and resurrection was the sacrifice for your sins if you want to be saved all you have to do is trust that what Jesus did is enough. That, that's all you have to do. Receive Him as your Savior. If you've never done that, you can do that now. I would just like to pray for you. I, I can't accept the Lord on your behalf. But if you're here and you've never been saved, would you just slip your hand up? You can put it up, put it right back down. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Anybody else just say, preacher, pray for me. Thank you. Appreciate that. If you folks would like help with that right after the service, if you need help, I, I'm here for you. But if you're ready, right where you're at, nice and simple, no hoopla, say, Lord, please save me. 
Father, thank you for how you've spoken to our hearts this morning. And Lord, I admit, so often I confuse the hoopla for what you're actually doing. Lord, I trust that your word is powerful enough. It's like a hammer. It's like fire. It's quick and powerful. Your word will get the job done. It won't return void. It'll accomplish what it's set out to do. Lord, help us on our part. Help us, Lord, to show you how much we love you with our complete and total obedience. For those that raise their hands, God, please work in those hearts that today they might be born again. Lord, we look forward to the day, one day, when our faith becomes sight and we get to enter under your roof. We're not worthy. We still won't be, but we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.